let's just get to it. The whole secular sacred divide. There is no distinction in, in the scriptures. Awesome. Well, what I want to do, I know I kind of gave an intro, but for those who don't know who you guys are, and there's some things I left out, uh, please introduce. We'll start with Chris, and then we'll go to SO. A little bit about yourself, your background, and uh, yeah. All right, great. Uh, I grew up in Houston, uh, east side of Houston specifically, and um, kind of how I got started with the Lord. My parents took me to Lakewood Church, so that was my first church. Um, I've been going there really all throughout high school. Um, and little bits of college. And I view God as just like, kind of like my dad, like this authoritative figure, you know, somebody that, you know, protected, provided, but also punished me as, as well. So I kind of view God as that person that always sees my wrongdoings, always kind of knows my deep, dark secrets. And that kind of led me to doing more work, you know, trying to do better, you know, trying to be the example. Um, and then in college, I got rocked with the word mm -hmm. and understood what, what sin was and how we cannot work our way uh, to God. And that kind of rocked my world um, in a sense where I was like, okay. And that really pushed me to even try harder, honestly, mm -hmm. and really try to be like, okay, it's not nothing I can really do, but it pushed me to try harder. But when I realized just like the weight of my sin and understanding that you can't work your way to God, that's why that Jesus came, that's when my life began to change. And I started really just investing my life into other people and started servicing. And after kind of got to college, went through that, got the degree, uh, we started a podcast two months before you did. I didn't even know that. Uh, it was, was February 2017 or January 2017. Hmm. And with the thoughts of really just improving men, you know, we wanted to help men um, spiritually, mentally, uh, physically, financially, um, emotionally as well, and not to be afraid to, you know, be vulnerable, but also be masculine at the same time, and really just how to live for Christ in the real world. Mm -hmm. And the podcast blew up. We had, you know, different interviews, you know, from Charlemagne, from, you know, Gary Vee, from Jordan Peterson. I mean, the list goes on and on. Mm -hmm. And just really just kind of uh, been focusing on giving and giving my life towards uh, men at that time. And just a few months later, probably like 10 months, just understanding where God was trying to call me and where he wanted me to push at was really just in my faith and in fitness as well. Um, so when I moved back to Houston 10 months ago, I wanted to really start in that foundation. And that's kind of where we at, you know, today, just really just continuously grow and be used as a vehicle for his glory. That's good. That's great. That's good. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's very good. I don't know how to, how to follow through with that. Uh, first of all, I want to say I'm not that old. Um, I'm only 34, so I don't know what you're talking about, bro. Um, yeah, my name is Esso. I was born in Nigeria. I'm a Nigerian. You know what I'm saying? Hey, come on. I'm a Yoruba boy in real life. boy Yoruba. so Yoruba. boy Yoruba. Ah, 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 now. Ah, ah. Um, you're like, he's like, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just a Texas Bama, you know, know what I mean? That's I know. It. Yeah, That's yeah, it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was born in Nigeria. I moved to London when I was nine uh, with my mom. 
And kind of similar story, you know, growing up in church, being in Nigeria, singing Kirk Franklin with the choir, all of that mm -hmm. stuff, just remembering all of those things, man. But it was when I became a teenager, when I was like 14, 15. So imagine this, growing up in church um, and believing that nobody dies when they're young. So I believe that, you know, I have enough time to serve God. I can do all the nonsense that I want to do now. I can go to all the parties, I be for all of that stuff, all the, all the islands in, the, in, in Europe. And then when I get older, I can devote all my life to him. Um, and then when I turned 14, 15, my best friend died. Mm. Uh, she died in her sleep, even. You know, nothing, no, no nobody saw it coming. And the, 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 the irony of it all was the week before she passed, I actually went to see her. And she became a Christian. And she was asking me, like, hey, what are you doing about your faith? Like, what's mm. going on with you? Like, you know, you say you're a Christian. I see you in church or in youth church, all this jazz. Um, but she really checked me and said, hey, man, your life and what you believe are not matching. And then a week after, she passed away. And so I had to reconcile with, you know, how I was living and um, what I said I believed and the God that I said that I believed in. And so it was at, at 15 years old that I started to walk with Jesus. Uh, and, you know, my mom, everybody in my household is a Christian. So my mom was like, hey, you know, just start with the book of John. You know, just start reading the Gospels and start to figure out who Jesus is for yourself. So here I am in, in, in secondary school. Um, trying to figure out what it looks like to be a Christian. Two years later, my dad passes away. Um, and then when he passes away, again, I have another faith tug where it's like, okay, cool, like you say you believe this God, this good God, what's going on? So I actually went to school for theology um, in 18 to 21. I did that. Then I met this girl. And then we <laughs> broke up. And then we, I wrote a whole album about her. It's a breakup, yeah. <laughs> it's a breakup album. Uh, and in 2015, we got back together. 2016, we moved the week after we got married to America with maybe four suitcases um, and half a dream mm -hmm. and, uh, and some faith that God would do something uh, amazing. And actually, yesterday, we, uh, we dedicated our first home. Um, you know, big old, big old, big old American crib. Um, and, you know, I know we're clapping about the house, but really the, the miracle isn't the home, but the miracle really is that as an immigrant, we're able to, to build something here that our homes won't be castles for our kingdom, but tabernacles for God's glory. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's what we want. We want. we want a place where God can really meet people where they're at and continually doing music and you know serving my, my beautiful wife, my two beautiful children. I'm trying to beg my wife for a boy, but she ain't having a story. She ain't having that. <laughs> um, and yeah, man, you know, excited to serve my brother Ebenezer, man, and, and you know, seeing where he's come. And I didn't even know this thing was seven years like that, but um, six, six years, six, six years, years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> seven is the number of perfection. Yeah, you, know yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, that's that's really my story, man. Love, love people, love God's word. I want to share it. I want to share Him with people. I want them to know Him for who He is, not just culturally or churchy. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? To know God really, and for Him to transform our lives. It's beautiful. Y'all did a great job. Can we just give a round of applause for those? I didn't know we were going to get sermons out of those intros. <laughs> uh, well, here's what we're going to do. Uh, I want to give you the theme. You guys probably picked up on it by now. If you've seen the flyer, probably seen it. The theme is Stand Firm. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but the last three years have been tough, 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 tough. Uh, a lot has happened, and I myself have questioned my faith. I have questioned God. I have questioned the scriptures. Uh, I have questioned church people. <laughs> um, there's a lot of things that I have questioned. 
And I have seen best friends of mine walk away from the faith. I've seen people I have served with in the church leave the faith. And, you know, I have learned in the last three years, man, this is, something is going on. And what I want to do tonight, I don't want to change the world or like solve all our problems, but I want to like start the conversation. I want to create a safe space for us to dialogue even doubts, frustrations, questions. Like I've talked to people who walked away and they're like, man, if I just had a safe space to say I'm doubting, maybe I wouldn't be here. Uh, if I had a safe space to tell people that I don't know if Jesus is real, maybe I would still be there. And so um, I want to kind of engage this conversation and, and, and say it's okay. Uh, God is not intimidated by our doubts. We don't serve an insecure God. Uh, God is not like, oh my gosh, you don't believe in me. Who am I now, right? Like, <laughs> that's not the God that we serve. God is secure in who he is. And uh, he's not afraid of our questions. We just celebrated Easter last Sunday. And I think about Thomas, who even all the disciples, like they walked with Jesus for three years. This man dies and they're terrified. They lock themselves in a room and they're just scared. It's like, I, I thought we followed the Messiah. What's going to happen? And I love when Jesus goes, walks into the room. He's, he doesn't meet them with judgment. He doesn't meet them with anger. He's not like, come on, guys. I told you this would happen. Was, he, he says, peace be with you. He, he greets them with peace. And uh, I want to create a culture and a safe space. I know Matthew Hudson was making jokes about safe space. We really want to create a safe space where people are met with peace when they when they express fear and doubt. And so just to get this started, I want to ask our co-hosts, our guests today, <laughs> have you guys ever struggled in the faith? Have you ever been tempted to walk away from the faith? Uh, you, you, you experienced a couple of traumatic uh, yeah. things that oh, you yeah. talked about, but uh, what was that experience like? Uh, and uh, what were you feeling and what happened that caused that? So for me, obviously, like I said, I, um, after my dad passed away, um, I had this, you know, kind of like tug of war situation going on. So I went to college to get a theology degree, thinking that, you know, that'll, that'll solve the problems. <laughs> that'll make things right. Let me, let, me, let me see what God is all about. So when I get there, um, I start to meet all these people from different walks of life, different backgrounds. Um, I grew up in a very Pentecostal church. So we had one way of doing our Christianity, and that was the only way. Um, that I was exposed to for a very long time. So here I am in college with all my Anglo-Saxon brothers um, <laughs> doing different vibes. I'm like, oh, what's going on here? So now I'm all, not only ex I'm experiencing that, I'm experiencing you know, all, all that college has to offer. You know I mean, I am five hours away from my home. Nobody's coming to visit me, no one. So I'm living, like living my life. Um, it's in my second year of college that I'm in my, I'm in my room and I, and I really have to wrestle with, am I going to follow Jesus or am I not going to follow him? Um, and that, that was my deconstruction phase, if, you would, if, you would, if, you, if I could say that. And one of the passages that came to my mind as that is happening um, is John 6. So your quick, quick context with John 6, Jesus is he's doing a whole bunch of things. He's feeding thousands of people. He's, you know, people are coming to him and trying to make him king by force, by fire, by force, as we would say. Um, and then he starts to tell them some hard things. He says, hey, man, if you want to follow me, you got to eat my flesh and you got to drink my blood. And they're like, whoa, we're Jews, bro. Like, we, don't, we, don't, we don't do cannibalism. That's not, that's not our vibe. That's not, that's not our vibe. And, and from, it just goes from having a mega church to having 12 people. The Bible says that a bunch of people leave him and say, this is a hard teaching. 
This is hard. And so he turns to his disciples and says, hey, are you going to leave me too? And in that moment, I feel like Jesus was turning to me. Mm. Say, hey, are you going to leave me? Mm. Are you going to leave me even though I've kept you all this time, even though I have been faithful and I've proved myself true to you all this time, all, all the years from where you were in Nigeria to, to being in London to now being in college to even your dad dying and like you handling that in a way that was so, totally different, you're going to leave me too. And, and Peter's response to him is, where are we going to go? And who are we going to go to? Because we've come to believe that you are the son of God and you have the words of eternal life. Now, the issue with that is there's a lot of places for them to go. They can go to many places. They men left businesses so they can go back to their businesses. They got wives. They can go back to their wives and their children. So it isn't that they don't have places to go. It isn't that they don't have people to go to. It's that the person of Jesus has really become a reality to them that if they turn back, they'll be turning back from something eternal. You know what I'm saying? And so that is really what, what kept me. And it still, honestly, has kept me till this day. I remember my friend, my good, good brother, man, Stephen, he was like, man, why, do you, why are you still a Christian? And my only response then was Jesus. Mm. That was literally my only response. There was nothing, nothing else really that's keeping me as a Christian outside of the person and the work of Jesus. If Jesus crumbles today, my faith crumbles. You know, I remember when I was in college and somebody said, hey man, like the resurrection is what has kept me as a Christian. I said, huh? Like what? Never heard that growing up in my redeemed church. It was just speaking in tongues. The Bible, it was, it was everything but the resurrection. <laughs> I love you if you're watching. I love you guys. Um, but when he said it, that really something stuck out to me there. And so um, as I have continued in my faith, I have tried to, outside of everything else, all the problems of evil, all the this and the that and stuff, I have tried to be like, hey, man, is Jesus real? Is he real? Did he resurrect? Is he coming again? And, and I, I believe um, that he is. And so I orient my life, orientate my life around that reality. So that's, that's, that's why I, I stayed and staying. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, for me, you know, I felt like it was really just kind of like, I felt justifiable excuses that led me to my wondering. So I, what I mean by that is like, there was church hurt. So during the, around this time, it was like the George Ford situation, the church I was going to, wasn't really speaking out about it. And I felt like they really didn't care about the members of the church, uh, the black people at the church at that time. And then also, you know, there was this ministry that w they wanted to hire me to be a part of. And I, at the time, didn't feel called to do that ministry. And they kind of turned their back on me. So like mm -hmm. the people that was leading me to Christ, discipling me, training me, now I don't have these people in my community anymore. Mm -hmm. And I moved as well away from Houston to Indianapolis, Indiana, which is exactly, yeah, yeah, not fun at all. So I really just held on to just kind of like my biblical knowledge and background, but not really deep diving in foundation, like not reading the word, not going to church, you know, not having accountability, community, nobody's, you know, discipling me, leading me and things like that. And then through the years, people, if I take a step back and look back, it's like, Bro, you're looking like the world. Mm -hmm. You're not going to church. You you in the you in the spots just like everybody else. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? You're doing things with women just like everybody else. And I'm looking like, all right, well, what has happened? And it's really I just took the or sacrificed the foundation, didn't see the importance of the word, of reading the word, of going to church and having accountability. So that led to a lot of wondering and felt like, all right, you know, this is something that I feel like God is calling me to do in this path. 
and, you know, making those decisions and kind of looking back at it now, God had destroyed all that. Mm -hmm. You know, so 10 months ago, this person that you see now really didn't exist, it, hmm. you know, because I would say I was 40 pounds heavier than where I met. Also, just really wasn't happy. I came back to Houston broken, broken. Mm -hmm. And to me, it was really like, all right, what, what was the root cause of mm -hmm. really not making my faith a priority? and not really actually living out the obedient command mm -hmm. that God has placed us to us, like on, on us as followers. And it was like, yeah, you have to live out the faith to bring validity to it. If mm -hmm. you say you, you know, read these things, but you're not applying these things to your life every mm -hmm. single day, are you really believing? So I have to really ask myself those questions. And then things started to turn around, really just bringing uh, the word into my life, you know, going back to church, listening to sermons, working out, really trying to, you know, follow God in the healthiest way possible. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's what it was. It's really like I took that foundational key pieces for us to really follow Jesus. And I just kind of ignored it and put my own thought or my own process, or I can get to it after this relationship works out. I can get to it after the, you know, the podcast and business kind of settles and then I can focus on it. Mm -hmm. I put God on the back burner basically. And God kind of, you know, Wiped all that out, you know, in, 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 in you know, in a, in a beautiful way. So um, that's kind of how I end up wondering. And uh, really, the word really brought me back, honestly. That's good. I actually want to do a follow-up question to that. So a lot of the times, I don't know if you guys have experienced this in the church, uh, we don't ever get to the root of the problem. Mm -hmm. So you talked about how what left you wandering or made you wandering is the yeah. fact that the people in your church were not addressing a real need. Correct. Right and I've seen this time and time again, uh, why are the people of God silent on matters of justice? This is, as a black individual, this is a this is an issue to me. And so you didn't leave because you just wanted sin. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah, the flesh, yeah, we yeah. all kind of wanted to yeah, sin yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was this real issue at hand, and then you were like, okay, if this isn't real, if this is not working, then let me just go in this direction. And I want to kind of talk about this a little bit. Why do you feel like we are terrible in the church at getting at the root of the problem? Uh, have you guys ever felt judged where you don't come to church for a few weeks and the first question is, where are you? And it's not, <laughs> why haven't you been coming? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or first, hi, how are you? <laughs> like, right, it's just straight to you're not coming to church, you're in sin, repent. It's just, but we all have reasons and I feel like sometimes we fail to acknowledge those reasons. Jesus, uh, you know, in the scriptures, you know, whenever he would speak to someone, the Bible says he would see what was in their heart and then he would talk to them. I love that. We don't have that ability. I wish mm -hmm. that we could just see somebody's heart and then respond. But we have been tasked with the responsibility to investigate people's heart before responding to people. And I feel like we're not really listening to people. Uh, we're not getting to the root of the issue. We're not examining their heart. We're not asking. We're terrible at asking questions. We're terrible at really understanding that people are complex individuals. Uh, we are nuanced individuals. We're not just here doing what we're doing. We have valid reasons and sometimes invalid reasons why we do what we do. But can you guys maybe speak to that a little bit like, hey, how could we be, be better at asking better questions, investigating the heart, getting to the root of the issue, um, and understanding that people aren't just jumping ship because they're jumping ship. They're jumping ship because there's a disappointment, there's a broken heart, there's a failure, there is hurt, there is something that has taken place that has made people question if God is real altogether. Yeah, I think for me, I think it's just the church lacks real discipleship, in my opinion. I think you really, really need personal relationships with people and to really dig deep 
into, you know, what's going on in their hearts because, you know, that's kind of how I was led to Christ was through discipleship. Somebody came, really taught me the word, but also lived life with me. Mm-hmm. So if they was real, they shared their struggles, shared their vulnerabilities and all those things and didn't duck and dodge the hard conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, we sat there, we had those hard conversations, we fought, we cried, but we got it from the word. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, that's what also I feel like the church needs to do too. It's like the word is the word. So you don't have to really add too much color and fluff to it. It'll either, mm-hmm. you know, impact and convict on its own. And I think the church runs away from that sometimes, especially if it's like it's going to be uncomfortable for the congregation. Mm-hmm. And they want those retention. They don't want people mm-hmm. to really just be challenged like that because it's, it's pushing you to an uncomfortable place. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times that's what we see and we get a lot of you know lukewarm Christians mm-hmm. because we don't really get to the, the root cause because there's no real discipleship. There's no real um, just impactful one-on-one personal relationships being developed to have these conversations. So we have to make sure that we're going to a church that's going to focus on those discipleship building relationships so we can have these conversations, so we can get to the root cause of these issues versus just ducking and dodging them and trying to just give fluff and motivation, basically. That's good. I want to, before that, I just want to add on this discipleship piece. So uh, I think one of the greatest disciples, I don't know if you guys know, it goes by the name of Brian Dye out of Chicago. And he came to Minneapolis for an event, and he did this exercise with us that I'll, okay, maybe I won't go through with you. I'll just explain the exercise. Uh, He asked everybody in attendance, name the five most influential sermons you've ever heard in your life. Boy, we were struggling. Like, can we give top two, top three, right? Like, I was, as a pastor, I'm like, I should be better, right? Like, I don't remember what I taught on last week. And I know, right? Like, was it John 6? Like, and then he asked the follow-up question. He said, can you name the five most influential people in your life? And then everybody's like, can we give six? Can we give, like, my coach, my grandma, my dad, my pastor, like, we were not struggling to come to conclusions. And the point that Brian Dye was trying to make is this. Most people will forget your messages, your sermons. They will not forget your presence. And we have put so much emphasis on production, and we have walked away from what Jesus did, walk with people, right? Like Jesus raised up 12 disciples, not by putting on a conference or an event, but by walking with them, eating with them, rebuking them, laughing with them, like there was this, and then he was able to see Peter when he's acting, he's like, Satan, get behind me, and Peter's like, Peter was seen to be rebuked, right? Uh, People were encouraged, gifts were identified, people were loved, and so discipleship, I just don't want to shy away from that, because I think that's a big point right there, and I think that in discipleship, there is, there is breeding ground for growth, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so, so I'm going to do a do a two-part if that's okay so earlier you were asking why doesn't you know the church like to ask like hard conversations and stuff like that i think because sometimes there's a disconnect between like what the gospel actually is right so the gospel isn't just christ dying for your sins you get to go to heaven that's it Um, the gospel also is living that reality here on earth with neighbor so they ask jesus hey what's the greatest commandment says, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. But the second is like the first. You got to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Upon these two, um, all the law and the prophets stand. So you can't really say you love God. You can't really say, hey, I believe the gospel, 
if you're not loving your neighbor in totality. Um, and so sometimes we have what we've done, and you know, myself included, what we've done is we've we've unhinged the gospel from what the gospel actually is. We've disconnected the gospel to a point where the the gospel is only theology. Mm. It's only yeah. you know, I can I can tick all these boxes. I can tell you. Oh, am I am I am I hitting your heart right now? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I could tick all these boxes. I could tell you about, you know, the hypostatic union and all other, you know, all these big fancy stuff. Um, but I can't tell you my neighbor's name. I don't know my neighbor's name. You know, God is really, you know, I'm, I'm saying that to you guys, but he's really dealing with me in that sense. Um, where like, hey man, cool, sure, you, you, got, got, you got theology, but like, do your neighbors know you? Like, are you living out the gospel in its totality? And so sometimes we disconnect it from that, like, hey, man, you know, as long as our theology is correct, that's all that matters. But really what matters is how you live out what you believe. Um, that you, can't actually be you can't actually say you believe if you're not living out what you believe. And living out what you believe is not just you being correct. It's also you displaying that to the rest of the world and loving people at the same time. So that's what I would say we don't like to do that because... For some reason, we've just unhinged and disconnected, and it's costly for us. Mm -hmm. You know, going that's that's a very good that's a very good point. It's very costly for us to change our life mm -hmm. for the other. Yep. Like, think about that. So, if I said if I said to everybody here, man, like, what the Bible's call for us, if you're a Christian, is to be more hospitable. Mm -hmm. That's literally a call for the Christian to be more hospitable. And actually, hospitality is a reflection of how the gospel. Yeah influences your life. So I remember this guy called Sam Aubrey. He says this, he says that, hey, God meets us where we're at. That's my alarm for some reason. God meets us where <laughs> we're at, right? He brings us in and he makes us a family. Mm. He seats us yeah. at his table yeah. and gives us a meal. Now imagine if we in our culture and our church and our homes did the same thing. Mm. How different would our lives look if how different would our neighborhoods look if we just took the gospel, yeah. the real gospel, not the one that we see on TV sometimes, that, that fake false one, but the real one that actually affects life in a real sense, mm -hmm. and we take that and we do it and we live it out. And so sometimes we don't do that because, hey, it's, it's, it's too costly for us. But God calls us to, um, to pay that cost because he did the same thing for us, man. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I would say. That's good. I actually want to piggyback off that. You, you mentioned something I want to lean into a little bit more. This idea of preaching the complete gospel. So I grew up in the Ethiopian church, and the gospel was don't listen to secular music, don't get your ears pierced, don't get tattoos. <laughs> that was the gospel. Uh, but the gospel is, you know, Jesus came, lived the life that we can never die to death. We deserve to die, and then rose from the dead, defeating death, sin, and um, yeah, our weaknesses, but there are implications to that. Mm -hmm. So you and I have talked about this one time. So for instance, we don't have a theology around finances. Mm. I grew up in a pros uh, poverty gospel church where to have money is to be against the will of God, right? It was just like one extreme over the other. And so I remember being young and thinking, to have money is to go against the will of God, right? So I'm going to be broke for Jesus, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> no, sir. Uh, uh, you know, like there was like something holy about like, if I don't have a lot of money, then God is pleased with me. But that's not the gospel. Sir. 
at all, right? right? Uh, God warns us about how we should engage with money, but he doesn't say to be poor is to to be in right standing with me. Jesus is the way we're in right standing with the Father. But there are just so many things we lack discipleship in and we miss the gospel presentation. Hospitality being one of the mm-hmm. one of the things. I mean, you guys, like when you look at the qualification for an elder, it's like Ooh. 14. I was looking at this the other day. Out of the 14, 12 deal with character mm-hmm. and two is actual gifting. Uh, the, the gifting are able to teach, must be hospitable. When was the last time somebody got disqualified for not being hospitable? Trust me. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, when was the last time somebody got asked to sit down because they didn't open up their home for their neighbor? Right? We talk about the hospitality piece. There's, we didn't have a theology for marriage. Like, I was told my whole life, don't get married, don't get married, don't get married. I came home with a college degree, and everybody's like, get married, get married, get married. I was like, you didn't teach me how to pursue a woman's heart. You didn't teach me, like, how to date. You didn't teach me how to, like, right? Now I got to get married. Uh, and, and so we don't have a theology around singleness. Sam Alberry has a great book on singleness. Uh, but we just have an incomplete gospel. And I guess maybe a question would be, why do you think that is? And what steps do we need to take to embrace the full picture of the gospel? So I'll say this. I'll say that, so I can, I can, I can only speak for African parents, right? Because I, I, those are the only ones that I have. Um, that part of me, you know, I think, I think about my mom and my dad, right? And I think about how they raised me. And me and my friend, we always talk about this. I hate our parents were only doing what they saw. They said they were only doing what they saw, and that they and their parents were only doing what they saw. And so, they, they, there wasn't a time when somebody intervened and said, "No, no, 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 no. Let me let me see what you're doing. Cool, but let me add to that." Mm-hmm. So I can't mm-hmm. I can't fault my parents or fault my my mom's pastor or or you know my my elders that, that were at the church because they were literally just doing what they saw. Yeah, but even what they saw, because I remember when my dad passed away. The people who showed up to my doorstep were my mom's pastors. Mm. They were the ones who were cooking for us. So even though their gospel, quote unquote, was incomplete, Mm. it was probably still more robust than some of the theology that we've seen at some churches. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's still, it's not, it isn't that it's incomplete, so let me come and add to the the jigsaw puzzle. It's not that, because that's that's like we're kind of puffing ourselves up, like, hey, we look at us, we know more than you, like that kind of vibe. But it's, even in their... Give me a word here, someone. Even in their um, lack of obedience, even in their lack of clarity, clarity. there, we, there yeah, you yeah, go. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Even in their lack of clarity, <laughs> there was still this, because instilled in our culture is a cultural Christianity, right? And cultural Christianity has some elements of biblical Christianity. Yeah. Right? Like it still has a little bit of little, little sauce on there. Um, <laughs> So even in that, they still knew that they had to come and stand with the saints when somebody passed away. They still knew that they had to look after the widow when they still do look after the widow. So there's, it's incomplete, it's lacking, but lack is lacking of clarity, but I never want us to get to a point where there's one group of people who have the right one. Yeah, facts. I mean, that's, 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 the, that's the dangerous part where we start to think like one group, one yeah. race, one Eastern European or Western European in the 1600s who was knocking on the door and said his name is Luther and this all that stuff. There's not one guy. Yeah, one group. I didn't want to yeah. say that. It's just it's not one guy that has a monopoly on right theology. 
Yeah. You know, and so I think sometimes we we can we can see what we came what we what we came up under, and we have to have some sort of sympathy with them and say they were probably just doing what they saw, bro. Yeah. They were just doing what they saw, and so now now that we've been exposed, we can say yes and amen to what you guys were doing, but can we can we add a little more to that? Can we show you that it's okay to wear a hat in church? Something wrong with that? There's other. You know, they be arguing people are wearing hats in church. I'm like, why? Why, why are we arguing about that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's okay to have money, yeah. but it's not, it's not okay to hoard it. We're meant to be stewards and givers with what we have. It's okay to want to wanna pursue marriage and singleness and pursue marriage, but don't make marriage an idol. It's okay to yeah. do all that stuff. Like, so we have to be careful to not look at what we've come out of, if we're out of it, right, um, and think shame on them. Yeah. Cause they they just just doing what they would that's they were doing what they knew man you know so I have to have a level of sympathy for them like yeah. just doing what you know bro that's right. yeah. even to add to that I think just part of it you know especially with your walk with God at least for me I have to take a sense of responsibility for it mm-hmm. and it just really like okay I understand where I came from in my background you know what my father may not be as closer to the Lord as I wish he was. I wish he was a man that can lead us spiritually. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just not there. So it's like, all right, I can live in that excuse mm-hmm. and just like, man, I wish it was that. Or I can really make the change and be the example. All right, let me explore how to actually do this. Right. And that's the importance of really just deep diving into the word. Because yeah. the word will tell us, it gives us guidelines, it gives us rules to follow, it gives us obe- like things to really just follow and this is all the principle these are the values these are the things that god is calling us stay away from this don't do that like this is the point of that like it tells us the consequences of sin immorality it's like you go, we're sinning against our body so it's like all of those informations in the word and i think it's on us to really like all right if we see the these disconnects or lack of clarity in churches and our friends and our family members it, it takes me to really mm-hmm use the faith and also like have my life like my life shine like that so i'm really just going to apply what the word is telling me to my life and then the the my obedience through the word will shine and people will see that as a living example that's the importance of following the word because it brings validity to it like your the spirit on you for you give your life to god and following his principles like your decisions that you make and how you live your life the light was shine through it. People are going to see, like, oh, there's something differently about this person. Mm-hmm. Like, I have seen people in this room have made a 180 change after they gave their life to the God. Like, to God. Now their parents are coming to their baptism mm-hmm. and hearing mm-hmm. the word of God. Like, man, like, he, my son now is giving his life to the Lord. Amen. Let me hear this whole Jesus thing now. You know, so it's like your process of you following Jesus can be a living example for your parents. For your friends, for your family, or for other church members that we go to. So I think, you know, we have to have that personal choice. Like, this is not just uh, my my mom take me to church, and this is the religion that I just grew up with, and this is, like, what I'm going to do day to day. It's like, no, you got to actively choose to do it, and then your life will follow. And I think God will use you through that. So now this quote by Dallas Willard, just to put a ribbon on what you just said, it says, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Mm. earning is an attitude effort is an action you know what I'm saying so the grace of God is not opposed to you actually trying to live out this thing it's opposed to you trying to earn Mm. the love of God you can't earn that much you know what I mean but you can live it out you can actually live out your salvation in fear and trembling and other people will see it 
and wonder what's going on with you. Absolutely. As you guys are talking, I'm thinking about this. There's this quote floating around social media uh, that says, uh, you know, you might not be responsible for what happened to you, but you're responsible for how you respond to it. And I have seen people take ownership in that when it comes to a variety of things, but sometimes I see a lack of that in the church. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, we're not responsible for maybe the lack of clarity or maybe the, the incomplete picture, but what am I gonna do now to get a full picture? What am I gonna do now to actually put effort into understanding what the gospel completely says? And so just speak on that a little bit. Why is it important to acknowledge the hurt? Because I think we, we brush over that sometimes in the church too. It's like, oh, just forgive them, just move on, you're good. Uh, it's okay to sit in that, grieve that, work through that, but then to also take responsibility and say, this church hurt me, or maybe this doctrine hurt me, or this experience hurt me, but I'm not responsible for making an effort to fully taking on what Jesus says about himself. And then also, just to add to that, I think a lot of times, especially in the New Testament, Paul's writing to church members. Mm -hmm. So there's members in the church that's going to hurt us, that's going to fail us, that's going to fall short of the glory of God. So it's like, like these letters are written to us, to church folks, to church members. So we have to also understand that we can't have this like huge expectation of the church folk people when they all gonna fall short of the glory of God. So it's like understanding that and realize, okay, that's why I need to put Jesus Mm -hmm. at the center. Mm -hmm. Not this church, not this pastor, not this religious group, but Jesus, because he's the example. Mm -hmm. And these people that that we have to really, uh, that we walk with, you know, that's the importance of community, the importance of accountability, you know? So that's why we have to make sure that we hold each other up uh, when we, you know, prone to wander. No, no, hey, yes or nay, man. I ain't got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all are sleep on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, um, I think about Paul, right, when he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Like, work out your own, yours. Um, sometimes we try to work out other people's. Mm, that's facts. You know what I'm saying? We try to, hey, man. It's easy to point fingers. It's, it's easy to it's point so fingers. Easy. It's, so easy to, it's so easy to look at the speck in someone else's eye mm. without focusing on the log in your own eye. And newsflash, we all have logs. We all, all of us in this room, have logs. And all of us ought to, to a certain extent, I, I, think, I think about Jesus' final words to his disciples. Like, what do you say when you're about to go? Like, what, what's some of the stuff you would tell someone? Like, I know what I'll tell them. Hey, man, make sure your home is in order. Like, hey, wife, I'm about to leave you. Look, the kids, make sure that they marry a Nigerian. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bring, you know, hey, 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 you know, yeah, well, <laughs> but Jesus says, hey, man, love one another. That's his, that's his command to his disciples at the end of the day, like, hey, love one another. Like, you're about to enter into this world, and you're about to be pulled from left to the right, but there's one thing that you need to keep, a new command I give to you, that is to love one Another, and I don't think a lot of Christians do that well enough, myself included, mm-hmm. um, because we are very quick to dispose people, mm-hmm. um, like too quick even. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm studying right now um, the Shamar, and the, the word soul is is nefesh, which doesn't, which isn't, you know, like we think nefesh, we think soul is like this external thing where like you know the body and soul are separate, but the Bible actually says that we are living souls. 
that we're living. Like, uh, there's, there's, no, there's no body here, soul here. They know we are living souls, which is why God hates murder, because you're killing a living soul. Mm. And so when you think about how you treat, relate, how you treat people relationally, think about how you're treating their soul. Think about it from that perspective. Are you, are you neglecting and just disposing of a living soul? And then also think about what God does with you. Does he do the same thing to you? Does he dispose you when you fall short of his glory? Does he dispose you when you sin and you said, I ain't going to do it no more, but then you right back at it? I know that lifestyle. Um, <laughs> does he dispose you when you, you lose your temper? So nah, actually while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Again, it goes back to our conversation about how the gospel touches everything. Everything in our lives. And so even even our relationships, you know what I'm saying? Amen. That's good.